Well, it's good to be with you in the auditorium this morning. I'm looking forward to looking at Psalm 40 today. That's our principal text. And as Deb and I were uh, looking through this psalm a few weeks back, um, a song came to our mind from the old movie, Brother, Where Art Thou? Has anyone seen that movie with George Clooney? <laughs> oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? It's one of those, it's a classic. It's uh, kind of like a train wreck that you just can't quit watching. <laughs> but uh, if, if you're familiar with the storyline at all, George Clooney and his two buddies have broken out of prison. And uh, they're destitute. They have no money at all. And, and uh, they find out that there's this radio station out in the middle of nowhere back in the 20s or in the early 1900s that will pay people to sing into a can. And, um, and so... This may bring the singing pastor to a whole new level this morning. <laughs> bring it down to a whole nother level, I think. But I just couldn't help but sing, and, and besides that, Deb put me up to it. So if it goes well, <laughs> and it goes something like this. I am a man of constant sorrow. I've seen trouble all my days. I bid farewell to old Kentucky, the place where I was born and raised. The place where he was born and raised. For six long years I've been in trouble, no pleasures on this earth I found. For in this world I'm bound to ramble. I have no friends to help me now. Sing it, Brett. I have no friends to help me now. Brett, where's my... <laughs> and we're going to transition right from that into Psalm 40. <laughs> And see if you can find a connection. I'm going to read from starting with verse 12 and 13 of Psalm chapter 40. And we're going to be skipping around through the psalm today. But David writes this, For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are the more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. And then over in verse 17, yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. O my God, do not delay. I think David, if you read through the Psalms, he was, a, I don't know if you'd call him a man of constant sorrow, but he had plenty of them. He had a lot of sorrows and it seems like if you read the Psalms, I love how it goes. He goes from the top of the mountain to deep in the valley in the very same Psalm. And I don't know if anyone else, I know some of you folks are just even keeled people. I'm kind of jealous of my, my, my wife that way. She's just steady, even all the time. I'm up here and then the next day I'm down here. And I'm thankful God put us together because it probably frustrates the uh, living daylights out of her, but <laughs> no comment. But David went from high to low and high to low in the very same Psalms. And it made me think about some stories that I encountered just this week in our church family. 
Some of them I have permission to share. Some of them I'll keep anonymous. These are just some stories from this past week of people with lots of sorrows. Last Sunday, I spent some time with a good friend of mine from years back. He and I grew up together in the same church, and, uh, and he, his life did not go the direction that he had planned. Uh, he's with us today, and I'm going to share a little bit about it. Russell, it's good to have you here today. And I asked if I could share just a little bit of Russell's story today. Russell's life has been gone from tormented with alcohol to tough relationships, and it became a vicious circle, vicious cycle, over and over again. There's good news associated with this we're going to talk, to, talk about later. But that was a young man that, that I got to spend some time with this week. Tormented with alcohol, tormented with relation, bad relationships. From there, I spent several hours with a, a man who was tormented with mental trauma to the extreme, um, desperate for his own life. And then I spent some time this week with an older gentleman who has buried three of his grandchildren in the last several years and one of his sons. And in the past few weeks, his daughter has fallen very ill and his wife, he just put into hospice care last night. Constant sorrow. And this man said to me this week, he said, man, Sometimes it just feels like I've ticked God off. Why? Why all the sorrow? I spent time with another lady who's in our pillars group whose younger brother, who's her kid brother, who passed away uh, very quickly this past week and unexpectedly. They were soulmates, they were friends, and I spent some time with her in her sorrow. And then I spent some time on the phone with a lady by the name of Sheila, and I asked permission if I could share her story. So throughout the morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a little bit of that. You, you know her as Sheila Punt. And her father passed away this past week, 68 years old, after a long battle, 12-year battle with cancer. And as I talked with Sheila at length, they were so close, her and her dad, the grandchildren, her children, uh, were so close to their grandpa, and it was just heart-wrenching to hear the sorrow. He's gone to be with the Lord, and that's something to celebrate, but the sorrow was still very, the grief was very evident. I'll share more of her story later. And then I, I spent some time with Pam, who's with us here today, whose husband of 32 years passed away a, a week ago, and we'll be having a graveside for him tomorrow. Sorrow abounds. I could go on and on. Those were just some people that I walked with this week. But it made me think of another man of constant sorrow. You know, in Isaiah 53, it describes Jesus as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In Psalm 22, which is one of the other psalms that is on our on our reading list for today, 
David writes these words, and he's actually prophesying words that Jesus would speak later from the cross. In Psalm 22, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so, so far from saving me, so far from the worlds of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and you are silent. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Can you put together the pieces of this prophecy several hundred years before Jesus was on the cross? And from the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And from the cross, it says that they walked by and hurled insults at him, saying, you saved others. Yourself you cannot save. Goes on, says, Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Hundreds of years before Calvary, the Holy Spirit had given these words to David to describe a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. In Isaiah chapter 53, I mentioned it already, but I'd like to just read. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The hymn writer from the hymn book writes these words, Man of sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. If there ever was a man of constant sorrow... It was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he did so for a purpose. And that's where the story gets good today. You see, God has designed from the beginning of time a divine exchange where he accepts our sin, our sorrows, takes them on the cross, and in place he offers us his entire righteousness, his healing, every gift, every good and perfect gift from heaven is given to us, the divine exchange. So we have constant sorrow. The second point of my message is divine exchange. And I, we read from that in Psalm 40, our text, we read these words in verses 1 through 5. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in God. Can I ask for a show of hands, how many of you folks have received that divine exchange this morning? 
Yes. Well, a few of you. We ought to be saying hallelujah. <laughs> That's right. The righteousness of God has been imputed to us who were dirty, rotten sinners. And he has offered his divine exchange. Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3 is one of my favorite texts. And Jesus quoted it when he was uh, teaching in the synagogue. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty for ashes." the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise for the spirit of despair. That's a divine exchange that I want to shout about this morning. That's what I'm thankful for today. If I could share a little bit, of, a little bit more of Russell's story. Last Sunday, he came in and he showed me a picture. And uh, I don't know how many of you were in the sanctuary a few weeks ago. Was it, what, three or four weeks ago, Russell, that, that Clayton preached, and he gave out coloring uh, pages. Remember that? And we're supposed to take home and color. And Russell said, well, I, uh, I had a broken hand. Can I share how your hand was broken, Russell? <laughs> he, uh, alcohol got the better of him one night, and he punched his refrigerator, and the refrigerator won. Okay? So he had a broken hand. He couldn't go back to work because of his broken hand. He said, I had eight broken crayons, and I had a broken heart. And this is the picture that he colored. And I took the liberty to put this in a broken frame with some broken glass <laughs> to show what Paul said, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing glory is from God and not from us. Russell, you're not alone, Betty. <laughs> We're all broken. But God is designed to give us a divine exchange, beauty for ashes, the oil of gladness for the spirit of despair, and a garment of praise. Thanks, Russell. Got a little bit more to share about that later, but um, I'm not sure I'm going to want to give this back. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do come and I'd like you to come and look at it afterwards, but don't touch it. Are you, there's shards of glass in there, I'm, I guarantee you, okay? I'm going to leave it right here. Divine exchange. Beauty for ashes. With a broken hand, broken heart, broken crayons, there was beauty. Then I wanted to share... A little bit of Sheila's story, Sheila Punt, when I talked to her this week, and she had spent the last quite a, a few days with her dad and as he was passing from this world to the next, and, and she said, I, I wanted to read Psalm 23 to my dad. And um, she said, I started reading Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And Sheila said, I couldn't go on any further. She said, I just broke down weeping. And her dad, who hadn't said anything for days, 
without missing a lick, said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Divine exchange. Beauty for ashes. And then if I could read Paul's story about a divine exchange in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read several verses here, but we know about Paul. He said he he considered everything he had as dung so that he could know Christ. He was one of the most educated people in his day, and he said, it's all worth rubbish because my desire is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And he writes these words, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel it is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of those around us so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of his glory in God and the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in us. Beauty for ashes, the divine exchange. And now I want to close with how to bring this down to us today because all of this divine exchange, you know what? It happens in community. Our, our, our uh, message theme for today was community. And the first time I read Psalm 40, I thought, well, where's community at in this psalm? And I had to read it a few times before I started figuring that out. And, and it really became, uh, I thought it was really cool after I finally discovered it. In verses 9 and 10, we read from Psalm chapter 40, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Two times it talks about assembling together. And I'm going to go out on thin ice here. One of the things that drove me nuts about the whole COVID thing was that somehow we got the idea that we could sit on our couch and be the church. (laughs) Now, I know there were things we had to do, I guess. But I want to tell you what, we are community. Have you, have you enjoyed the ability to be back together again and building each other up and worshiping the Lord together? There is power in the voices of God's people uniting. If you don't believe it, ask the people of Jericho. <laughs> they gave a shout and the walls came down. It was community. 
It was everybody together joining their voices in praise. And David talks about singing in the assembly. It happens in community, all this divine exchange where we trade our life of sorrows for his righteousness, for his goodness. It happens in the community of believers. And there's four things that I noticed in those two verses. It's first of all, the community of praise. In verse nine, he says, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not keep my mouth shut, as you know, O Lord. Uh, I love David. Whatever was on his mind, he just, he just says it. But when he praises the Lord, he goes all out. I love the story, and I think it's Samuel, where it says that David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Uh, He was dancing so hard, he was starting to lose his clothing out in the street, and his wife was looking from the upstairs window and was embarrassed and mortified and said, David, you're making a fool out of yourself. And he said, I will become even more undignified than this in my worship of my God. And this is, I'm going to go on a rabbit trail here, but I think it's a good one. Michael was the one looking out the window, okay? His wife, Michael, Saul's daughter. If you read that scripture, you know what happened to her from that moment on when she despised David's praise? It says from that time on, she was barren. And I think a lot of times the reason the church is barren, a lot of the reason that we don't produce fruit is because we've forgotten how to get undignified in our praise. (laughs) That we have forgotten how to get sold out and radical for Jesus. I forgot I'm in Pella. I'll tame it down just a little bit. <laughs> but I want to tell you something. When, when God lifts you up from the slimy pit, like it says in Psalms 40, when God gives you his beauty for your ashes, when he does that in your life, you start singing. There's nobody that's going to shut you up. And that's what David says, Lord, you know me. He said, I cannot keep my lips sealed. So there's a community of praise. Secondly, there's a community of righteousness. He said, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. And he said, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. And that means, okay, I'm going to get into something. I've heard a lot of people say, well, my faith is a private thing. I'm sorry, but there's no such thing as private faith. I think James, we just got through James, (laughs) talks about if you say you believe, there's going to be something different in your life. And people are going to notice. He said, I don't hide your righteousness in my heart. We can walk from here. Oh, yes, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And, and uh, we live just like everybody else. Folks, the righteousness of God should emanate from us. He said, I am not quiet about your righteousness. I don't keep it to myself. I'll never forget I was preaching. One of the, one of the neat things about preaching is you get a lot of feedback Sometimes good and sometimes bad. And uh, I'll never forget, somebody confronted me after service one time, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I was preaching in the, in the sanctuary, and I was preaching hard on sin. I mean, I was putting it on the line. I was talking about how, you know, the total depravity thing. I was getting it down good. And Henry Allen came up to me afterwards. I love Henry. And he said, Phil... I wish you'd have talked a little bit more about the righteousness of God. (laughs) And I said, Henry, you are exactly right. I missed it. You see, we can talk about how depraved and sinful we are, and then I I think what happens is it actually, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
Instead of talking about that we are the righteousness of God in Christ and that when we leave from this place, his righteousness is growing from us and, and we're just spilling it all over the place. That's what I want to see in the body of Christ, a community of righteousness, a community of people who are in love with Jesus, a community of people who are in love with one another. How, do we, how is the world going to know that we're his disciples? If you've got good theology, that you love one another. A community of praise, a community of righteousness, a community of truth. In verse 10, he said, I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but we need to call truth. We need to speak the truth in love. We need to be bold in our, in our speaking the truth. We don't do anybody favor. Uh, another rabbit trail. Um, I've got to be a little careful how I say this. I do a lot of funerals. I do a ton of funerals. And there's always this temptation to try to preach people into heaven. And I always ask myself, what good does it do to the living for me to make a statement that we are all just going to go to heaven whether we, no matter how we live? And I ask myself that question every time, and it's not because I want to uh, 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 add grief to a situation, but we, we need to be truthful in love and talk about the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. If we ever veer from that, we've lost it. Jesus said, there is no other name, or Peter, I guess, was preaching in Acts. He said, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved that except the name of Jesus. Folks, so the world has invented a whole lot of self-help ways to get to, to get to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's be truthful about that. Let's be truthful. So it's a community of praise, a community of righteousness, a community of truth, and finally, a community of love. He said, may your love always surround me and protect me. And I wanted to just share one last thought from uh, Russell's story before we, the worship team comes back. In fact, Dale, if you want to get in place, that'd be great. Last Sunday, the Lord was prompting me through the service uh, I was sitting with Russell, and I, I, I wanted to ask Russell, I said, I wanted to ask him if he would go down for communion with me, because he had made things right with God, and I thought that would, well, I didn't even get a chance to ask him. He punched me right at the end of the service. He said, I haven't had communion in 30 years. Will you take me down there? <laughs> I tell you what, that did something for my heart. And then we got down here, and Lauren and Gene Van Wyke were serving right over here, and they prayed the most beautiful and powerful and love-filled prayer over Russell last week. Community. You don't get that on a couch, folks. (laughs) You get that when we, the body of Christ, gather together and build each other up in the most holy faith. There's three action steps that I'm going to leave with you today. And then the praise team is going to sing a very fitting song, Graves into Gardens. And I hope that you've got a grave in the garden story. I hope that you've got a divine exchange story. The action steps for the week. First of all, we're asking all of the church to meditate on the Psalms. And at the back of the, of the, by the Bibles back there by the sound booth, I have 
this little slip of paper. I want everyone to pick one of these up. And this has all the Psalms that we'll be covering in our series in the next month, okay? Next couple months. So if you want to grab this, this will let you know what Psalms we're, we're meditating on for our worship services. And so um, uh, grab one of those. And then the next thing we're asking you to do is write your own Psalm. Write your own um, divine exchange story or grave into garden story. And I just, I think we could have some really neat stories. I, I shared a few of them with you today. And, and can I share one more? Sorry, Dale. <laughs> um, I told you about the lady that had gone into, uh, the man whose wife had gone into hospice after all that they'd been through. She was struggling greatly with her faith and her salvation this week. And I have found often in the ministry as a pastor that the devil throws in his last charge when people are getting close to death. I have seen some of the most saintly people doubting their faith at the very last moments. And I've always wondered why. Well, it's because the devil's trying to get in his last lick. That's why. And that was happening for this lady this week. She was traumatized by it. And I had an opportunity to share a simple poem with her. And I wish I'd have brought it up, but it, it talks about a ship. She said, I don't want to leave my grandkids. And I said, well, you've got grandkids on both sides. She said, she laughed, started laughing. She said, yeah, I do, don't I? And so I shared the poem with her about a ship that's going off into the sunset and it becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and eventually you don't see the ship any longer on the sea. And someone at the seashore says, there, she's gone. But at this very same moment, someone on the other seashore is looking and saying, hey, there she comes. I didn't do that poem justice. But you know what the cool part about the poem was? The author of that poem had the same last name as the lady that I was sharing with. It was like God just put this whole thing together and, and she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Holy Spirit had met her that day with a divine exchange, with a grave into a garden story.